Welcome to Hymn Talk, a discussion of hymns, music, and singing in the life of the church. I'm Zach DePrima, and with me today is Jimmy Gann. Jimmy is one of our missionaries in northern India. For those of you who don't know, I'm a pastoral assistant at Emmanuel Church, so when I say one of our missionaries, I'm referring to Emmanuel Church of Winston-Salem. And we're here to discuss the topic of missions and singing and how, how congregational singing goes on the mission field. Jimmy, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been a missionary for how long? Been serving in South Asia since 2010. Uh-huh. Uh, had several years there in between that we were in America, so about seven, seven and a half years total. If you were to sum up what your ministry these days is uh, in just a few sentences, how would you describe it? Yeah, we oversee the work of uh, church planting in uh, a state of about 8 million people. And, uh, yeah, I work primarily with the church planters and strategy coordinators that mm-hmm. are local indigenous to the area. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, you and I, like, like many Christians, have been highly influenced by John Piper. And Piper says in his classic book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, which is based on Psalm 67, he, he says, uh, I believe it's the first line in the book, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Can you explain, what, what does Piper mean when he says that? Well, God created us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we obviously rebelled. We turned against Him and we ran from Him. But um, His plan for creation was uh, to be glorified by creation. Mm-hmm. And we were a part of that plan. And, and through our depravity, we, we can't be a part of that plan. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of um, bringing the nations to bring the salvation to nations, as mm-hmm. as Psalm 67 points out, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the process by which uh, new worshipers of Christ that can worship in truth and spirit mm-hmm. can actually glorify God yes. in new places, yeah. in places that have never previously uh, glorified Him. Yeah, and it, it reflects, that, that quote I think reflects something of a misunderstanding by all of us of salvation. Uh, we tend to think s- salvation, God's act of saving sinners, is merely for the purpose of saving sinners. So uh, people don't have to go to hell. And that's gloriously true. We love that. That's, that's, that's core to the gospel. But what, what that can miss is that God saves people for his glory. As Ephesians 1 says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Um, we can often, I think, be so narcissistic in our understanding of salvation that we think salvation is about me. God, God's found me so precious and me so appealing that he needed to have me on his team, where I think that idea of, of missions exists. You could say gospel proclamation exists because worshipers, uh, because worship doesn't. The gospel's end, the telos of the gospel is to create worshipers of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so you, I think uh, a great way to see that mm-hmm. very plainly is actually in Ezekiel mm. when it talks about the new covenant. Mm. And God said, I, I will give you a heart of flesh. Yes. Right? I will remove the heart of stone. Put my but, spirit in you. And I'll put my heart, spirit in you. I will clean you up. Mm. He says all of these things very clearly, I will do this for my namesake. Mm. I will mm. do this for myself. Mm. 
Uh, I think that's very plainly put it in Scripture. God's doing this for His own glory. He's mm-hmm. doing this for Himself. When you entered the mission field, uh, was was that salient point that the gospel is is for the glory of God? Missions is for the <clears throat> is for the glory of God. Was that clear in your understanding as it is today, or was that a process for you? Did that take some time to understand? I think it was clear. Yeah. I think uh, the the passage that actually led me to the mission field was Romans 1, 18, hmm. right? Uh, talking about people being without excuse because God has revealed himself through creation. Yes. But they've chosen to worship man-made things, creeping things. Yeah. And so they had diverted their worship to other things rather than the creator God. Hmm. Uh, and it was so plainly laid out there. Mm-hmm. And that was... Those people being without excuse mm-hmm. means those people that who have never heard the gospel before mm-hmm. are dying separated from God for 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 eternity. Mm. That's what led me to the field, and so the idea of worship being the core to that, mm-hmm. I think, was always central. Jimmy, something I've always perceived about you that that I appreciate so much is you obviously have a compassion for lost people. You have a particular compassion for those people who have ever never heard the name of Christ, but I also sense within you a, um, a jealousy for God's glory. That is, <laughs> these people don't know the Lord, and these people are not rendering praise to him who is due, and we need to bring the gospel to people because the Lord must be praised. Would you echo that, or am I, am I right in that assessment? Yeah, I think spending time on the field in a Hindu culture— there is a, a righteous anger that builds up in your heart mm. for for God. Mm. God deserves this this worship, yeah. this glory. But there's a there's a mandir, there's a temple on every single corner. Yes. There's people following after these. Mm-hmm. Again, Romans one, these creeping things, these man made things, mm-hmm. these these creatures that they've made, and and so there's a burden for God and His glory. Mm. But there's also the glory, the burden for the people themselves right. that are just lost. Right, right. So you would say worship matters in the mission field. Absolutely. Now, I don't want to leave this point too quick because I think this is this is something that a lot of people tend to misunderstand. But if you're a missionary and your core task is to bring the gospel to to people who have not heard it, um, why not just focus on evangelism? Why is, it impo- why is it important to, say, establish churches and, that is, gatherings of people to that, that gather for the express purpose to worship God? Why, why is that part important and not just evangelism? Well, there's several reasons. The, mm. You've got uh, very practical reasons. The church is where the leaders are equipped, the saints are equipped to continue to expand the church, to, yeah. to start new churches. But then there's the obvious answer of worship. Mm. This is the time where... Um, it's it's really where the harvest comes to play. Like they have, the crop hmm. has become ready for harvest mm-hmm. because they're gathering and they are worshiping in spirit and truth the one true God. That this is the finish line hmm. when it comes to the local church. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a glorious thing. 
So you've been you've been a missionary in in South Asia. Most of that's been in India. Is that anywhere else you've been? Nepal. Nepal. Okay. Just within some of the border areas. In in your context, in your experience, does singing come more or less natural to other cultures as opposed to Americans? I would say in India, it probably is more common. Uh, now, the reason for that is not a good one, but. Um, <laughs> They, they bring a lot of that from their practices in the temple, in the Hindu temples. And so they have uh, this tradition of Sangati, which means fellowship, uh-huh. in the temple, uh, where they do a lot of songs and they do a lot of mantras and, and things like that. And even that tantric or mantric mantra style comes into the the church mm-hmm. and i don't think in an unhealthy way but it just it's part of their culture it's part of their dna yeah so yeah because it's something that i tend to struggle with as an american i think americans probably less than than most cultures at least 21st century americans singing's not a huge part of our culture mm. and what i mean by that is particularly corporate singing we love being entertained. We love going to a rock concert, a pop concert. We love American Idol. We love we love things like that. We like music, but as far as gathering with other people to to sing an anthem or something, it, it's not really intrinsic to who we are as Americans. As opposed to, I would say, even British people or Irish or uh, other Europeans. You know, so I can I can remember when I was converted as a child. The idea of it was expected that a Christian should sing to God or that God would be pleased by his people singing to him, that wasn't natural to me. It wasn't reflexive as a person who had been saved by God's grace. Uh, and I, I, I attribute that some of some of which to my experience as an American. Would you say, so you would say that's different maybe for an Indian person uh, who's been recently converted. It makes complete sense that we would sing praises to God. Yeah, I think it's a little more intrinsic intrinsic to their to their culture, to what they were brought up in. Okay. What might surprise you think Westerners about the worship or the singing in the churches that you've seen planted? Uh, what might surprise them? I think it's a little more chaotic. <laughs> it's louder. You could say informal. Uh, yeah, informal. Uh, chaotic may may not be the right word. <laughs> yeah. but, God is not a God um, of chaos, so no, he wouldn't be pleased with chaos. No, there's absolutely just less no informal. chaos in our church services. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, loud, they love to be loud. Okay. And they love to clap, and they love to beat on a drum. They love the tambourine. Yep. Um, and they, it's, it's fun to watch. They actually progressively get louder in every song, and they speed up. <laughs> That's a very normal thing in the song. It's yeah. just to every every time you repeat the same verse yeah. to just get louder and louder and faster and faster. And that happens quite often in several of the songs. As a, a guy who, and as your family ministers cross-culturally, do you find it uh, natural, easy, or difficult to enter into worship in another culture? I don't find it difficult. I find it difficult to remember the words. Uh, <laughs> although I know the language, uh, learning the songs for me has always been more difficult. So yeah. there's certain songs that are much easier yeah. that I can catch faster. I can understand what, what they're trying to say. But even I think we find that in hymns, uh, we don't always use word arrangements or grammar in the right. same way that we would speak. Mm-hmm. So for me, that makes it difficult because I'm like, I wouldn't say that 
like that in Hindi mm-hmm. typically, but the song has moved it around so that it flows better. So the songs that y'all sing in Hindi, are they typically um, songs from from Western cultures and churches or do the, are they are there a lot of hindi speakers writing songs mm. there's there's quite a few songs that have um passed over mm-hmm. from the western culture and that they've translated and even kept the same tune mm-hmm. um but i would say maybe 60 to 70 percent are totally locally locally created and we even have you said 60 to 80 percent probably 60 to 70 percent okay. Wow. Maybe maybe seventy five percent are totally brand new that have been created uh, within the language within the heart language, and we even have uh, in our state we mm-hmm. have several different heart languages. Okay. Yeah, every district has its own language. Can you explain and, to us what's a heart language? Heart what? language is the the language of the family. What they speak at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times that's different than the trade language, which mm-hmm. would be Hindi. In our case, hmm. Hindi, everyone speaks Hindi mm-hmm. when they're out and about. Right. But what do they speak at home? Uh, what do they speak in their in their local village? Um, and so we have several songs that have been created, uh, more than several, hundreds of songs that have been mm-hmm. created in different heart languages that are unique to the district that, that they live in. So here at Emmanuel Church, usually Alex and I play a, a big role in, in picking the songs that are that are sung by our church. We're always getting feedback from members and input as well. And we take it. Uh, we take the songs that we sing in our church, Jimmy, as as uh, part of our church's teaching ministry. We look at Ephesians five and Colossians three, which speak of singing psalms, hymns, and spirit and spiritual songs, teaching one another. Uh, so we view the we view the content that we sing to be just indispensable, extremely important. Uh, we have particular things that are important to us to get in front of our people uh, to be regularly singing. Are there any things in your context that's particularly important for the content of the songs that are sung? Uh, we put a lot of thought into the new songs we create. Hmm. We have several people within our network that, that work really hard on creating songs. Um, and so in the inception of the song, we probably put a lot more into it. But haven't I haven't put, spent a ton of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the songs are just very generic, mm-hmm. universal. Mm-hmm. If you were if you were in a church in uh, you know four or five states away, right. they're going to be singing the exact same three songs uh, as you're going to be singing. So that's that's very common within yeah. the churches. Jimmy, what do you think Westerners can learn about singing, or maybe worship more broadly from the church in India? In the churches we start, uh, people who come on Sunday are. Mm-hmm expected to be a part of the service Mm -hmm. Um, they are given different responsibilities and leadership whether it be leading through the leading the worship time leading through the teaching time Uh, we also have um, you know opportunity for uh, equipping of the disciples and accountability Mm -hmm. and uh, opportunity to speak into one another's life through encouraging one another um, applying whatever we learn that day Mm -hmm. Uh, corporately, mm-hmm. uh, we we can't afford buildings in our churches, so we're 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 all in houses, mm-hmm. and so the the number of people in that house allows us to be maybe a little more uh, free mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. able to um, allow and expect everyone to be a part of the service mm-hmm. in a way that is just much more difficult with a larger number. 
Yeah, I was very struck by that when we visited you guys last fall. Um, I was I was very impressed by the participatory nature of the services. Uh, every person there seemed to be um, very much involved, not looking to be entertained or anything like that. No sense of of a performance. Uh, but gathered there to worship God and, and enter in and to encourage their brothers and sisters. I, f- I worry about that in the church in the West. I worry about that in, in America. I even worry about that in our own church. I think many of us can, can tend to think, I show up to church to get something, to receive something. And there is something in that that I heartily want to affirm yeah, I want you to be equipped by God's word. I want you to be encouraged by God's word. I want you to be edified by the prayers and the worship and the encouragement of the saints, uh, all those things. But I want you also to be contributing to that as well. And I think that's something we can definitely learn from the church in India. There was a there's a story that that reminds me of mm. um, early on when we started started the church that uh, is still meeting. I, th- I guess it's been almost three years now. Um, there was a family that came from another state. They moved in. Uh, the The husband, I think, was working in the military. Mm. And um, he came from a very, um, you might say, traditional background um, where you, you go and you sit and you're fed and you leave. That's kind of what he expected when he came. And, um, again, it was more participatory. Right. And, um, you know, we were asking questions mm-hmm. and – uh, really pulling out meaning from the scripture, and yep. he didn't have the answers, but his daughter was answering, <laughs> and I could see he was getting a little uncomfortable yeah. with the fact that why why do I not have the answers to this? Why have I not put the time in to study this passage right. that we knew we were going to study this week? Right, and my daughter is beating me to the punch on a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And I saw it encourage him week after week. I saw him being more prepared, more involved, yes. and wanting to actually show his daughter, lead his daughter right. as as a as a father should lead his daughter mm. um, in the faith, in mm. you know the Bible studies and the things that we do in our in our worship service. Um, and I I was so encouraged by that, and I thought, man. Um, you know, we just don't have that opportunity mm-hmm. typically in the Western Church mm-hmm. to um, challenge, right? Challenge folks, right. right? I think that we would all agree that church is not only an event on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, but it excites me to think about if this is an event that we're going to put a lot of energy into, uh, that this would be an opportunity for the body to be the body. Yeah. For people with this gift mm-hmm. to exercise that gift, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's the approach that we take. Yeah. In India. Well, Jimmy, I want us to shift to our hymn of the week, and that hymn is "All Creatures of Our God and King." All creatures of our God and King was originally written by Sir, uh, by Saint Francis, and I know you're you're wondering about all the Saint Francis's. This is Saint Francis of Assisi, so don't confuse him with the other Saint Francis's. Saint Francis of Assisi in the 13th century. So this hymn was written likely in 1225, so going on 800 years ago. Uh, And the tune that's most common to us is a 16th century German tune. 
Now, St. Francis, as I said, he wrote it about 800 years ago, and he lived roughly from 1181-82 to 1226, so he didn't live very long. He was an Italian friar and preacher. He was also inspired by Psalm 145. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generation. This was the inspiration for the hymn, All Creatures. The song, in and of itself, it calls on all people, all people and, and heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, earth, wind, fire, rocks, hills, and mountains to render praise to God. Tradition has it that St. Francis wrote this hymn in the last year of his life after he had become blind. And the hymn has a remarkable quality of engaging nearly all the senses. So think of the sense of sight. He refers to the rising sun and praise rejoice. Ye lights of evening find a voice. You can imagine uh, Francis reflecting upon when he could see the, the lights of the evening and when he could see the sun rising. Also, you see him use his sense of hearing. You see, he refers to thou rushing wind that art so strong, thou flowing water pure and clear, make music for thy Lord to hear. Sense of hearing, also sense of feeling, thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam. Each of the verses of this hymn, and there's several that Assisi wrote in the original version, they respond to the call to worship with the refrain, Alleluia. The most memorable verse is probably the last verse in most arrangements, and that is as follows. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit three in one. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Jimmy, you have any thoughts about this hymn? You told me this was one of your favorite hymns. This is one of my favorite, uh, and I think it... Again, we talked about Romans 1 so yeah. several times about God being the creator. And it's it's kind of a creation to Christ, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I mean, we're talking about God creating all things. And then in verse 3, talking about all those redeemed, w- washed by his blood, will come and rejoice, right? Mm-hmm. And then the final chapter, he shall return in power to reign. Yes. And then... It's kind of talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven yeah. and earth will join to say, "Oh, praise Him!" Then who, who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King. So this restoration, yes. this idea of restoration, restoring the earth to what it was yeah. when it was made and in, in perfect. Yeah. What What I love about that is is those verses that Jimmy's highlighting. Those have actually been written recently in the last few years by by Sovereign Grace. One of the wonderful works that Christians can do these days is take one theme that was written from saints gone by, and also they they sometimes modernize the tune, modernize the words, but also complement it with a more full orb theology. And that's precisely what Sovereign Grace does in this version. Assisi's meditations were more general. You know, he has verses about birds and animals singing and glory to God, and it's all wonderful. But he makes it actually even more Christ-centered, focusing on uh, the blood of Christ, focusing on Christ's return. And uh, that last verse, obviously stemming from uh, Revelation 5, where the Apostle John wrote, I looked and I heard every creature 
You could thank all creatures of our God and King, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Just a wonderful hymn. I'd promote it to, to uh, anyone listening. Uh, if you're looking for a good song of praise, a song that can open your worship service. I like songs of praise because they tend to be general. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're inclined to weave a specific theme throughout a service, but you're wondering how to start that service, a song of praise, like all creatures, is just a wonderful way to start. And I, I particularly would also commend this Sovereign Grace version because of its full-orb theology, because of its uh, cross-centeredness, its Christ-centeredness, and, and complementing the rich words from St. Francis of Assisi. Well, friends, with that, we're out of time. Jimmy, thank you for your time. Thank you, sir.